You are listening to Space Time Mind, a podcast by two philosophy professors, Richard Brown and Pete Mandick, who talk about philosophy, science, and all sorts of other stuff. Please be advised that this podcast contains strong language and abstract ideas not suitable for all intelligent life forms. Previously on Space Time Mind. We're starting to realize that computation is like maybe something like fundamental, maybe close to being fundamental. Like, yeah. And if you do have qualifiable intuitions, and I will, I'll admit that I sometimes have those intuitions, there's something kind of disturbing about this, this well, lack of qualitativeness. Be not disturbed, young Skywalker. Somehow, somehow, do a Jedi mind meld. In space. What bothers me, and I'm, and I, and I don't know whether you are doing this thing that bothers me, but Galen, Galen Strawson, um, I'm most when, certainly doing the thing that bothers you. When, <laughs> when Galen Strawson talks about his love of qualia and his realism about consciousness. He says things like, if you think you can explain consciousness, then blammo, you're not on my team. Yeah, that's not me. You, uh, you so but, that's not but, you. But, but what is me is that if you think you can explain something else that isn't consciousness and say that you've explained consciousness, then you're not on my team. That's what Dennett does, and that's what Galen is trying to say when he says stuff like that. Well, I don't think that's what Dennett does, but, you know, so he here's... He does do that. What are you talking about? He says, look, all I'm going to explain are reports about consciousness, and that's all there is. That's, that's Dennett's program. But then there's yeah. a question about whether that, that's all that there is. But, exactly. But this is a very specific issue, and, I, and, and uh, you know, so in writing, Galen says these things like, you know, if you think consciousness can be explained, then you really don't think consciousness exists. And I don't know, I asked him this in person, uh, uh, I said, uh, you know, Galen, do you, do you think that this is a general truth, that if you think that something can be explained, then it doesn't really exist? So, like, for example, you know, if you can explain what water is, then water doesn't really exist, or if you can explain what hurricanes are, that, that hurricanes don't really exist. And he said, he was very clear about this, no, he doesn't think this is a general truth about explanation. Um, Right, and so neither do I. That's why I don't agree with him about this issue. But, but he does. He and he seemed also to kind of back off a bit about the claim about consciousness. But, I, but uh, you know, because where he puts it in writing, that's a few years ago. Uh, and this conversation I had with him was, uh, I guess, you know, just a year ago. So maybe he's changed his mind a little bit about this this strategy. Well, it depends um, on what you mean by an explanation. So I mean, if you if if you mean like. Uh, there are proto-phenomenal properties which somehow constitute what we call phenomenal consciousness but aren't themselves phenomenally conscious but also aren't like the typical properties like mass and pro electron but are charge but uh, are somehow importantly fun more fundamental than that like underneath all that stuff then maybe you could explain consciousness in that kind of sense well, there's, in, terms I mean, of, in terms of proto-phenomenal properties so someone like Galen is going to be fine someone like Strauss is going to be fine um, with certain kinds of explanations, and that's what maybe he was hedging. I mean, look, I don't know. You know what? 
uh, we might invite him on here someday to talk about this because I agree with him to a large extent that uh, there are certain people who call themselves material physicalists and say they're talking about consciousness but really aren't. That they're, it's like you know what they actually are talking about is something that's so unrelated to consciousness is ridiculous. Um, but at the same time, I don't agree that that means that you know uh, uh, um, consciousness is fundamental or can't be explained by something else that's more fundamental. Uh, I just think that whatever, however you explain it, you can't explain it away. <laughs> I mean, there's a difference between explaining what something is and explaining something away. And we use the word explanation in both ways. I mean, well, I, I, I hope that all parties to this agree that uh, explanations have to be non-circular. So if you well, no, no. What do you, well, well, there's different kinds of circularity. So, um, and not every argument that's circular or, or is a bad argument. So, for instance, you know, here's here's a, a circular argument which seems fine. So, you know, this is a circular argument. Therefore, this is a circular argument. Well, I think you're changing the topic. That's a well, that's circularity. But we're, I'm talking about explanation. Well, but argument and explanation are closely related. I thought we were talking about that last time where you were talking about you have like to, a, you know, deduct, the deductive nomological model of explanation is... Uh, but a Virgus Dormitive explanation is not an explanation. If I say that opium makes you sleepy because opium makes you sleepy, that no one is going to grant that that's a good explanation. Right. If you, if you explain phenomenality in terms of proto-phenomenality, well, you know, maybe that's okay, right? Because you're not explaining consciousness in terms of consciousness. You're explaining consciousness in terms of proto-consciousness, right? So it looks like it's not circular. Right. Uh, however, there is something that consciousness and proto-consciousness have in common. Call Which that is what? X. Call it X. Whatever phenomenality and proto-phenomenality have in common, call it, you know, uh, property X. Okay. What is property X? Can property X itself be explained non-circularly, non-virtus uh, dormant TVE, or are, are you a fundamentalist about that? I don't mean you, Richard Brown, but like my imagined uh, opponent. Are you a fundamentalist yeah. about that? Um, do you think that that thing can't be explained? Um, what they have in That's common? I well, I think that, I mean, look, I don't know. So look, what do they have in common? Uh, it depends on what you mean. Mental? I think it depends a lot. A lot depends on how that gets cashed out here. So, uh, in one sense, they don't have the important thing in common, since the proto-phenomenal properties aren't phenomenal. They're proto, so they don't have any phenomenality. They can't. Although you know, it's not. You're not explain. If what you're asking is, do they have some kind of phenomenal consciousness? No. But but the point I think that they are, are trying to make is that they have. I mean, look, I'm, I can't speak for Galen. And all I can do is kind of try to imagine myself in this kind of view and what I would say, but I have weird views about this stuff, so I don't know if I'm the best person to do this. But I would imagine that if what happens in the original case is that there's a, uh, you know, no conceptual hook, so to speak. You know, this sometimes you hear people say these things like, um, uh, if you do the, the explanation thing, you start with the first premise and it gives you some kind of, you know, functional thing there, like, you know, um, uh, I was just writing a, my lectures on this, so I stretch my memory, but, you know, you might say, learning is the process by which experience changes behavior. So that sounds like fun functional. And then you find out, aha, in human beings, the process that changes behavior via experience is something molecular, like long-term potentiation or something. 
And then you conclude, aha, learning is long-term potentiation. So you start with this kind of functionally characterizable or causally connect, some, some kind of characterization in, in, in uh, some kind of public terms at least, something like that. Right. And then you um, uh, find out which thing does that, and then you say you've explained that. Uh, now, so if that's supposed to be what fails in the consciousness case, that you don't that you don't get a first premise where you say consciousness is, and then you put in the functional or the description of the behavior or the you know ram whatever the thing you're doing over that Ramsey sentence, whatever. Um, if you can't do that, then I think the idea is supposed to be that the proto phenomenal uh, properties somehow give you that link. They they give you the ability to uh, connect these things in some kind of terms to the qualia terms in such a way that you come to be able to know that this thing is associated with red and that thing is associated with green, which you can't do just by looking at mass and so forth and so on. So they're hypothetical properties which would allow you to have to come to have this kind of knowledge. Now your question I think is on the basis of what would you come to have that knowledge? Is it like that it's consciousness or it's so that it's circular or is it I, I, and I think that they would say we don't know but but it's it would have to be that kind of thing, something that would be able to let you con conceptually connect that fundamental property to consciousness in something that's similar to the way that we connect um, learning to this molecular process, but which we don't seem to be able to do with any known physical properties like the ones that science talks about right now. So they're postulating a different kind of property, and who, who knows? I mean, it couldn't be a functional property. I mean, it's got to be some weird kind of property. So well, what I worry about is what they're doing is uh, analogous to the following. So imagine, uh, you know, I, I asked the good doctor what makes, why does opium make you sleepy? And he says, it's got vertus dormitive. And I'm like, oh, dude, that's circular. I told you that last time. He's like, wait, 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 you're right. Um, okay, so um, I'm going to say, says the good doctor, uh, the reason opium makes you sleepy is because it's got proto vertus dormitive. <laughs> And I'm like, well, what do you mean by proto? He's like, well, it's got the property that would explain why opium makes you sleepy. So there you go. That's my explanation. The reason opium makes you sleepy is because opium has the property, uh, not, the, not simply the property of making you sleepy. Of course, that would be circular. I don't want to be circular. It's got the property that would explain <laughs> why opium makes you sleepy. So now I'm done. There's my explanation. And I say yeah. to that, you're not done. You're not done, but you've filled it up folder for explanation. So, uh, so then what you want to do is it's characterize. It's got to be a placeholder for something else, though. Something besides yeah. what what you just did to say it's like proto, it's proto vertus dormitive. Right. You have to say what what it, what property it is, and we come to find out it's molecular properties, chemical properties, um, and then they were right though. That that is what it was. It was that thing that allowed us to connect. Um, the way this thing does its stuff to the thing we're interested in, and it took a long time to figure that out. But that's but ultimately their idea. they're gonna have to explain proto phenomenality in terms of something else, like you explain water in terms of something else. You you so one way of putting it is is that uh, water, the reason water can be explained is because water is complex and it resolves into relative simples, each of which aren't water. Right, but the proto-phenomenal properties are simples, and they don't get explained. They get posited as fundamental kinds of properties. So you don't explain them. You just like list the kind of properties that they have. Then I don't see how they can do any explaining, because all you're doing is defining them as the things that would explain qualia. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So, I mean, but look, so... The, the, <laughs> it's what, just not progress. 
uh, it is progress. I, I, it's it's how progress is made. I'm look. I'm not. Yeah. I don't hold this view. Uh, I have a. I have the more radical view that consciousness is like a brain thing. <laughs> so you know, I, I, I'm not trying to defend. What I'm saying is that this view is radical, but not refuted by people laughing at it, and that it's an open possibility, and that we have examples from the history of science where things like this have happened. And people no, laugh at yes. Well, fields are a perfect example. How, how is that not a perfect example? Wait, you can't. Fields aren't explained in terms of anything else. No. What are they explained? Well, they're a fundamental property. I mean, they're they're inter. What what else are they explained in terms of? I mean, they're fundamental. But, they're they're but part they're, of the fundamental features that you appeal to explain the properties that other things have, like electrons. Um, uh, so what is it? Why does the electron have the property that it does? Well, because there's you know there's this field, <laughs> maybe I hate the electromagnetic field, field maybe which I this thing interacts too. with. What? I don't. I, I said maybe I hate fields too. I, what? Maybe. What? How, how so, can you? Fields are awesome. Uh, you know, you're, I've heard you're outstanding awesome. in your field. <laughs> <laughs> do you want to go back to Cantor and Hilbert? I do, but I want to. Now we're all, now it's getting over my head. I don't know if I'm enough about fields to know whether they're bullshit too. They might be bullshit. Well, they can't. You know, I hate bullshit. force. I hate forces. Uh, I I could see how you might hate forces, but you know, you can't hate the mathematical descriptions of forces, and you can't. Right. And if you define this stuff in the right way, it's uh, forces are fine. Um, so you know, if you just define, uh, you know, in terms of work, for instance, work, and you'd give an equation which des describes what's energy. Energy is something that you use to do work, okay, and then what's work? Work is when you change something from one state to the other, you must have done some work to do that, and so then you define these basic, so what's work? Well, that's a kind of force, maybe, and so, all right, so uh, you're right, you can get weird, spooky interpretations of them, but if you just stick to the mathematics, or, you know, something's going on there. No? Well, like, you know, we've got these mathematical descriptions of the ways things accelerate toward each other. And then we ask, well, why are they accelerating toward each other at those rates? And we say, ah, there's a force. It's the gravity force. Right. And I'm like, but what's the what is that? What's the force? It's like, well, it's, it's the well, thing the force has been that defined. would explain why they accelerate toward each other that way. And no, the force is a field. Of, uh, so the the gravitational field uh, is a fundamental feature of of the physical reality. Which um, has a mathematical value at every point. Um, it's related to mass, so that if you have the field there, but there are no objects, you still have something. You have the field. You put some mass into that field, and so now it interacts with the fields. Um, that's the way you know particle physics is kind of progressing. Now you may not like that, but that's what physicists are doing. And if you know, their quantum. Field theory is pretty cool theory. It's well established. It's not perfect, obviously, but um, the math of it's pretty cool. And, and so fields. I mean, the, you're right. You might be suspicious of them, but the argument is this. This is the argument. You need them to make sense of what the physicists are doing. They 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 seem like really important to what they're doing. Yeah. Um, and so you know, Quinean <laughs> quantify over the things you in your theory. They they got to be real. And some. I mean. No, I'm not a Quinean relativist of ontology, but you know, there, there's at least that minimal sense. There's got to be fields. Well, there's so there's fields. this thing. There's and this. So, hold on, I didn't finish. I didn't finish. So that's the second step. Uh, so they're yeah. they seem important to science. Uh, second step is they have to at least exist in that minimal sense. 
And then, and then the third step is that um, they have to be added to the theory as fundamental things because they can't be explained in terms of other things that were already there in the theory. So are you, are you familiar with the notion of surplus content? It's kind of an old-fashioned term from, like, 20th century philosophy of science. So this emerges in the, you know, the philosophy of science made this transition from positivism to scientific realism. And, you know, key, there are a lot of key yeah, common sense never did, though. It's always been firmly realistic. Common sense. Yeah, but I'm talking about like like philosophy. Yeah, um, and the positivists were, you know, their their uh, dream was that there was just sense data. That's like one version of it. There's there's just like this stuff that we have have, have immediate access to, and um, you could you could hear this as a kind of idealism, and um, the scientific realists said like, look, you guys aren't taking explanations seriously. That um, what you what you want is an explanation for the observations, and um, the explanations can't just be these circular things. The explanations have to have surplus content. So, for example, um, when you when you say that um, the oil droplets are falling at the rates that they have because they uh, have electrons in them, that commits you to this surplus content. That, that it has to what what it means to say that it has electrons in it, it has to predict m more stuff than simply your prior observations. It can't simply be a logical construct out of your prior observations. It has to have uh, this further empirical content. It has to make further predictions. And so I guess par part of my worry is that um, the, the, things, uh, the things that are being offered as explanations in these various areas, do they have surplus content? Are they making predictions? Do they, well, I, do they I mean, yeah. further predictive power? Or, the or are these field theory makes tons of predictions. Okay, then they're great. Great for them. So they're not simply defined in terms of these uh, prior observations. You're not just saying, like, I've observed, I've, I've, I've observed all this stuff, so therefore I'm positing whatever would explain what we've observed already. The right. No, no, no. The idea is that the, that's the part where I was trying to say they can't do physics without this stuff because the predictions are being confirmed. It's every way of formulating the theory, not every way, but a large part of the way that we formulate the theory invokes yeah. fields at some point. So it so, seems so, indispensable. So, you know, so there's, we've got these prior, uh, we've got these prior uh, observations. We posit this thing that would explain those prior observations, but it also makes new predictions. It predicts things that we haven't observed yet. And then when we do observe those things, we say, okay, great, we were definitely onto something. So this is this is like a the basic sketch of, of scientific realism and, and what gives you confidence in your realism about things. Right. But what I don't see is that the proto-phenomenality people are going to get us any predictions. I don't see them making any predictions. I see them... Um, what, what, just doing the the Virtus Dormitive thing. They there's there's some, something that they want explained. They, what it's like. What it's like for me to to look at your red shirt. Uh, they want an explanation for that, so they posit these proto um, <clears throat> proto phenomenality. But I don't see them plugging this into any anything that would give you predictions. I I don't think that they really care about genuine scientific theories in that way. Where people that talk about fields, I 
I assume, I'm not super up on the physics, I assume that gets plugged into predictions, right? Isn't yeah. there stuff that, 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 but, 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 that okay, confirmed so that? Can I, can I say something about this? Um, so, you're right that the field stuff is for prediction stuff um, because that's what they were trying to explain. Uh, they're trying to explain, like, why that thing over there moves in a straight line down towards the ground. Okay, gravity, give an equation. What's gravity? Okay, curvature, space, time, blah, 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 fields, hamada, hamada, interaction of particles. Okay, so you've explained something, um, gravity, in terms of an interaction uh, between something else, mass, and uh, this other thing, a gravitational field. So that so that's an explanation, and the right. kind of explanation that you give is is starts from first of all trying to figure out what kind of thing you're trying to explain. So that's why they give that kind of thing, and of yep. course it does make predictions because they're trying to explain a physical phenomena. They want to make these kinds of predictions. Novel predictions, right? It makes novel predictions. It makes novel predictions. That's right. Uh, um, my point about invoking that was just that in order to do it you had to get rid of the idea that um, you know forces were communicated by contact first of all since it doesn't seem like you know having a gravitational field with some mass in it involves something like a bumping so there's not so that's weird that's one of the resistances that people have to fields um, or when they were first brought up is that they seem like these weird non-physical entities they don't action seem physical distance. yeah yeah action at a distance now it's not a field is an is is a physical entity, and you say, hmm, that's interesting. Why is it a physical entity? Uh, because it's extended in space time. Maybe that's part of it, or something like that. But but the basic idea is that you had to introduce a new fundamental physical entity on one version of this story. And maybe tomorrow we'll find out this whole field thing is nonsense. You know, and there are other there are other yeah. approaches uh, in in this area, obviously. Um, but but the field stuff is around, and. The idea was that this is a something fundamental, which previously would have thought of would have been thought of as non-physical, which now physicists regard as like the paradigm of physical phenomena. Because you know, if you look at quantum field theory and you just sort of uh, limit yourself to that, what quantum field theory says is everything is fields. <laughs> what an electron is is a field. What a proton is is a field. What a what what gravitation, the force of gravity is is a field. Um, what the electromagnetic force is a field. So there's fields associated with each one of these previously thought to be fundamental entities, and then physics just describes the interactions between these fields. Uh, so that's one model of, of the way that these things are going here. And if you went back in time to one of these people from history, like in the 1650s, and you presented this theory to them, they would say, this is not a, a theory of the physical world. Like, what are you talking about? This is a uh, physical world involves things, corpuscles, and they move around with definite speeds and vectors, and um, uh, they bump into each other, and then somehow there's pulses that are communicated. And I mean, it's just, so to them that looks like a like non-physical. They're like, what is this spirit world you are describing to me? Uh, whereas now physicists regard that as the paradigm explanation of the physical world. I mean, it may be wrong again, so I'm sort of assuming stuff. Yeah. But my point is. That if you if you view that story in that way, if that makes sense to view that that historical transition in something like this way, 
then you have a precedent for how physics advances, uh, at least in, in some times. And sometimes it advances by adding, adding a new fundamental entity. Um, and you don't explain it, you just posit it, it's fundamental, yep. and then you describe its properties, like, you know, the force of gravity has this value given the mass, it's inversely proportional to the distance between the square roots of the ratio, blah, 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 um, of the radius. So you describe its properties mathematically, and then things interact according to those rules, and the fields, that's it, your physics proceeds along. Um, so now, now the idea then is that these proto-phenomenal people types um, want to do something, or it's not that they want to do something like that, it's that they are pointing out that this is an option and that it's not that weird if you look at the history of physics, it sort of has happened. Um, yeah. And of course, you know, if you don't like fields, then you could do the same thing with inertial motion, I think, you know, because you go back to Aristotle, you don't get like inertial motion, it, you know, the, natural, uh, the natural state of an object is to be at rest. Aristotle thinks you apply some force to an object by pushing it, It'll move only so long as you apply that force to it. Once the force has been taken away, it stops moving. Yeah. Um, and that's like the opposite of inertial motion, whereby you know we say no, you need a force to be acting on it in some way. It has to be in a field in order for it to stop moving. And so, you know, there's a new fundamental notion: inertial motion. You posit it. So we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back after the break. I think human consciousness was a tragic misstep in evolution. We became too self-aware. Nature created an aspect of nature separate from itself. We are creatures that should not exist by natural law. Well, that sounds god-fucking-awful, Rush. We are things that labor under the illusion of having a self, this accretion of sensory experience and feeling programmed with total assurance that we are each somebody when in fact everybody's nobody now to examine some matter any old matter will do mon that's some cheap matter what is it oh it's just a log i found in a hole in the bottom of the sea now to penetrate its deepest mysteries oh my there's a frog on a bump on this log that i found in a hole in the bottom of the sea and that's the ultimate secret of the universe? Apparently so. Wait, there's a snail on the tail of a frog on the bump on this log that I found in a hole in the bottom of the sea. Dear Liza! Take, for example, the Higgs boson. So the people that posited the Higgs boson, they, they made a case for it in terms of explanation. They said, look, if there was the Higgs boson, then that would explain... Um, Right, it was, I mean, this is over my head, but it's supposed to explain mass, right? It's supposed to be something more fundamental than mass. It explains how things interact in such a way that uh, ultimately mass is, is a phenomenon of the, of the Higgs boson. So they introduce it in terms of things that it would explain if it existed. 
However, they didn't stop there. They didn't say, okay, there you go. We There's all this stuff that Higgs boson would, would explain. Explanations are great. So we're, our work here is done. The Higgs boson exists. They didn't stop there. They kept going. They made they made predictions. They said, like, look, if the Higgs boson exists, not only would it explain all this stuff, but but then we, we would expect to get a certain kind of result if it, if we fired up a particle accelerator and and accelerated particles in such and such way, right? right. So they yeah. they put their neck out. They they put they they, so they said, okay, we're gonna take a risk. We're gonna make this. Uh, we're gonna attach our um, positing of the Higgs boson to this novel prediction and. If the prediction doesn't come out, well, you know, I, I don't know what we're going to do, but like we really care if the prediction does come out. And then, the, and then, the, and then what By happened? The way, you know, uh, speaking of this, a lot of predictions they made made uh, so far are not coming um, out over there. Although the Higgs boson, that's the big one. But yeah, uh, you're, you're, I think you're basically right there. The idea is that this is supposed to be the particle which is really a field and, um, and is the particle that communicates or somehow gives mass to objects where well, what that means when they say gives mass to the objects yeah. is simply allows it to interact with the gravitational field. Yeah. Um, because if you, as I was just saying, if you think of like what, the, what gravity is, it's simply a field uh, which interacts with things that have mass, then you need something which... Uh, allows for that interaction. So the Higgs boson is supposed to be the thing which, right. uh, if these particles have, then they can interact with the uh, gravitational field. And that's nice because then it explains why there are things out there that, like light maybe or something like that, which don't seem really to interact with it all that much, although there's gravitational lensing and black holes. So light does interact with uh, uh, the gravitational field to some extent at least. Uh, but there are other things that don't. I, and then in the old days, I think like tachyons were one of. But it, and there's these other ones that are like uh, what's the? I forget what the word is. The uh, not mesons. Anyway, there. I, I'm having a senior moment. But there are these particles that basically are flying around all over the place and just pass right through matter, and they barely interact with anything at all. What are those particles? Oh man. Neutrinos. A, yeah, neutrinos. Exactly. Thank you for curing my senior moment. Yeah, neutrinos. So neutrinos are. Uh, so why do you want a Higgs boson around? Because you have to explain the difference between neutrinos and protons. Um, protons interact with the gravitational field, or at least things made out of protons do. Neutrinos don't seem to, and the idea is supposed to be, well, maybe yeah. there's this, inner, this thing which is, allows us to explain that. And that's sort of what you were saying, that, yeah, they wanted to explain these things. But not only that, make further predictions. Right. Like that you would craft these atoms right. together. And you would expect to see certain like patterns in the electrical output. Yeah. You would inter so, and then they did verify those, or allegedly um, they yeah. have verified those. What's sad is there's some other stuff which has not been yet verified, but like, you know, there are predictions about tiny black holes appearing and all yeah. kinds of weird exotic particles they thought should show up, and it's not clear that they're getting that data. But anyway, you're you're back to your point. It's, right. You're right. But that's because they're trying to explain something different. I mean. This is a I, I look. I'm a physicalist. I I'm optimistic about this, but yeah, I want to put ourselves in the other position here and be fair to them for a moment at least, anyway. Um, and from that position, they're not trying to explain something physical. They're not trying to explain something that has an effect on behavior, because uh, it it doesn't. <laughs> I mean, you know, these this is qualia we're talking about, and we'll get to whether it's epiphenomenal in a second, maybe. But according to them, it's not. But um, 
But hold on, though. Hold on. So okay. you you were making a, a, a criticism, and yep. I share I share your view, but I'm trying to you know pretend to defend them. And one of these okay. days, we really should have like one of these people on here, so they can defend themselves. People, because if you have like you know, I when I was writing the paper um, for the book on uh, you know key thinkers and a philosophy of mind. Yeah, and uh, you know, I, I told Dave uh, Chalmers that I was writing the the article on him. That my job was to explain his view, and he was like, "Oh, uh, well, everyone else gets someone who likes their views to explain their views, and I get someone who's like my critic." <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, "Yeah, but you know, I'm, I, I really do want to understand the view. Yeah. I'm, I am critical of the view, but I'm also like, you know, to the it, it's weird because Chalmers is like ninety nine percent a physicalist, and then the except for qualia." Yeah, and I and and most of it's due to this rationalism stuff, and I'm like right. 99% a rationalist, except for that I think that you know um, uh, we can't know that it's true or something. But I really like rationalism, and I, you know, Matt, I thought I you were like an empiricist. Uh, I am, but I I don't think I I think that um, rationalism can't be ruled out. I mean, if you're an empiricist, you can't rule out rationalism. You just you just try to say I can explain this stuff without appealing to that kind of stuff. But I, I do think that there's a priori justification at the very least, which you know may be traceable back. I mean, really, what I mean now we're going way off on a different tangent. Yes. But to me, what 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 throws the monkey in the wrench here is evolution, and so I think to myself, you know, like you know, you talk about the church Turing thesis, which we just talked about a second ago, and you say, yeah. okay, um, every effectively computable function is computable by a Turing machine. Now, that seems reasonable to me. You ask yourself, can it be proved? Well, I don't know. Kripke seems to show that it's a corollary of the completeness theorem from Gödel. That seems reasonable to me. So, so reason seems important in, in some sense, and that and there's this kind of glowiness around stuff like that. That when you reason through it, you go, yeah, how else could, yeah, okay, that, uh huh, and this, and yes, then that, and okay. So, so you, I get that phenomenology of the, uh, the of certainty and the, that deduction. I don't know. We might talk about this later, but when I contemplate modus ponens. I, it feels different than when I think of you know what some people have called modus morons, <laughs> which is the if p and q, um, q therefore p, you know the sort of um, uh, fallacious cousin of modus ponens, um, which yeah modus morons. I forget who said that. It's a good it's a good article on that though. We should put a link to that though because she uh, she oh, she's very clever and but what she does and I now I'm blanking on who wrote this paper but she's uh, very clever and what she wrote basically was. Look, you can construct a deductive system that has modus morons as its basic rule, and you're gonna instead of modus ponens, which you know our system of logic has as its basic rule. And the real question in philosophy of logic is, well, okay, so why is our system better than that other system? They're both sort of complete and consistent in their own terms, you know. So, so there's a real deep question about the the philosophy of logic, um, you know, which goes back to what Tortoise said through Achilles and all this yeah. kind of you know, Lewis Carroll stuff. But, but I don't want to go down that rabbit hole. <laughs> Uh, I can't resist rabbit holes, really. If they're there, I sort of dive down them. But but, but my point of this is that there's a phenomenology there that, if it, it to me, it feels when I think in terms of modus ponens, I just feel like rationally compelled. Like from the inside, it feels like duh duh force. But when I think about the other one, I don't feel compelled. In fact, I feel like duh duh what? Nope, not doesn't go. So there's a there's a kind of Phenomenology of deduction or of inference or of leadingness or of it's hard to put your finger on it, but I get that feeling. Um, uh, clear and distinctness, you might call it, if you're Cartesian. You know, there, I, there's something that to that. My problem with that is that I think that we can't trust it. So I think that if you look at creatures like us and a planet like this, 
and you throw in evolutionary constraints and then you let it evolve for a bunch of times, that eventually you'll end up with creatures that have systems sort of built into them which encode basic information about their environment but which probably were derived from interaction with the environment because you can do this in a lot of different environments. Um, so for us, you know, one plus one equals two and those kinds of things are so regularly repeated in our experience that it just seems sort of intuitive to me that over time evolution would come to in cheat and encode those things in some dedicated hardware or wetware in the yeah. system. And so that's where I think the glowingness comes from and where the uh, a lot of this stuff comes from is there's got to be something in the brain built in which, you know, like, you know, uh, maybe you could call it a deductive reasoning um, engine or like a logic module or something like that that's built in there. Yeah. Uh, and then some people would say, oh, that puts you in contact with this really nice non-physical world about facts, eternal, necessary, and that maybe. But also maybe it was just built up over a long prolonged exposure to repeated instances of these regularities in nature. Yeah. And both stories, I mean, in my in my thinking, this is just like a fancier version of Hume's argument. It's like the extension of it's Hume plus evolution. Right. Um, and other people have made this kind of argument, like Timothy Williamson, you know, he argues that if you, that you, the glowingness is not, a, you know, that we uh, can't trust that. So this is a general theme among some people. Um, and for me, it's the evolution stuff that really, derails me. So if it weren't for that, I would be like, I would be a ravaging, foaming at the mouth rationalist. Oh, I see. Um, now the other point though here is that, uh, so there's there's two questions, two projects. One question is like, is there a priori knowledge? Um, or, or is there, and I think maybe, you know, like if that means not based on my experience. <laughs> right. But maybe not if that means not based on any experience in my ancestral train, maybe, you know, like my belief that A equals A is based on some amoeba, amoeba way back when encoding that and not getting stuck, and now here I'm thinking A equals A, how can that be false, and it's really, um, it really turns out to be totally radically false, and I'm just like stupidly evolved to believe, I mean, I think I can make sense of that kind of story. Yeah. Um, uh, and, and so that's what really blocks me um, from accepting that, but then there's this other question, which is, look, if you're a rationalist and you believe this stuff, then how is a priori knowledge possible? And that was Kant's big worry, and he has to do some really weird stuff to make it possible like that it's only true of our experience. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, and so I think that's, that's kind of problematic. And, and, you know, people who are big rationalists nowadays, um, like Chalmers uh, and Bonjour, I think, too, um, they don't really talk, like, about this question, how is it possible? In fact, like, when Chalmers talks about this, he sort of says, I want to ignore that question. Yeah. Like, how is a priori knowledge possible? I don't know. There's a space of possible worlds, and it can be divided up. And then, But then you say, well, okay, but how is, the, how is there a space of possible worlds? Where does it come from? What's its nature? Right. And those kind of questions don't get answered. So there's the metaphysical right. worries. Like, that's a weird metaphysics. But then, to me, it's really this, like, what's the best explanation of my sincere phenomenological certainty of A equals A, yeah. the best explanation is continuity, regularity, and nature. And it's not contact with non-physical, abstract ideas. Yeah. Well, that's a big thing you and I agree about then. Right. But, so, but, but I still think that you can have like a priori justification for mathematics if that simply means, in your case, you didn't have an, any particular experience which justified this mathematical okay. claim. So in, in a weaker sense of a priori, like I'm on board with it, and and then and then I pretend that you know you can do the same stuff 
that you can do the stronger stuff with the weaker stuff. And that's why I like to think about zombies and modality and possibility because, yeah, whether it's strong or weak, you know, Chalmers or mine, you can still think about that stuff. And I still think that we're, we can make sense of ideal reasoners and with our – and that depends on conceptual systems, Yeah. which is part of my big argument against Chalmers. Like one of the big points I want to make is, well, yeah, if you design a reasoner and you give it some concepts and it can deduce a bunch of crap from that, but really, a lot depends on which fucking concepts you put in there, <laughs> and it's not at all clear like which ones are right. And so, yeah, you have one set you deduce A, you have another set you deduce not A. And so the question is like, what are the what are the right concepts that you start with, right. or that you end up with? Not that you start with. I'm sorry, but what are the right concepts you get like at the infinite limit? And he thinks, oh, you get a concept that allows zombies to be possible, and I say, no, you get a concept that says it can't be possible. So, so, but other than that, like I, so yeah, I'm, I am an empiricist because, but I also think that you get, it's really, you know, unless you go really, really deep, it's not a, it's a difference that matters for like a lot of these debates. Right, right, right. So, you know, we're running out of time and we didn't really get to the Cantor Hilbert thing that we had put a pin oh, in. Sure. Yeah, you want to end on that? Yeah. Or should we save it for a different time or? Well, I'm a little worried. I, I do have to wrap things up really soon. I've only got like, you know, five minutes left tops. Okay. Maybe, well, so maybe we can just do a teaser and we'll come back to this. Let's do a teaser. <laughs> okay. 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 Next episode. <laughs> that was my what teaser. Did you see it? Yeah, that was sexy. I don't know what that was. Was that a picture of the power set? Yeah, that was a, a power. The power set of the empty set. That was a demonstration of it. That was the. Uh, that, that was the diagonalization argument. Hey, if you want to see the power set of the empty set, then you do nothing more than listen to some quiet karate reflex because all of our songs just are formulations of the power set of the empty set. I mean, That's right. That's right. <laughs> That's exactly right. Okay, so Hilbert, this this bastard uh, in the best sense of that term. term. Um, so the finite Terry stuff, uh, this gets to Cantor. So, you know, the, the cardinal ordinal thing. Um, so I, I guess you don't like this stuff. I mean, what is your uh, – so the diagonal argument, I think, is, is really simple. It makes, it makes a lot of intuitive sense to me, and if you do it in the right way, I think it will be stated quite simply. Here, here, can I state it, or do you want to say something first? Well, I just – you asked me really quick what I don't like about this stuff, and I, and I think there's like this – you know, there's this old debate about whether the idea of um, actual infinities is coherent. Oh, you froze, man. Oh, say you froze. Say that again. Uh, so there's this old debate about whether, um, you know, I mean, by old, going back to like Aristotle, those guys, there's this old debate about whether the idea of actual infinities is coherent. And there's this thing um, that often gets referred to as Galileo's paradox. And it says, like, look, here's one of the incoherencies of, of actual infinities. If you had an actually infinite set, it could be equinumerous to one of its uh, proper subsets. And yeah, that's, that's a theorem of set theory, actually. That's, well, that's wait, wait, that's wait, 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 <laughs> So you get, you get Cantor, and I guess some other people, too, they say, like, oh, no, that's not an objection. We're just going to say that's, like, a fundamental feature of what we're talking about. Yeah, so exactly. <laughs> like, but that seems like such a shitty move. Why? I mean, where's the contradiction except for that it seems weird? Like, where in, the, where in the proof of this? Why like, isn't that good enough? Like, because look, it's it's math. I mean, if uh, this, oh, we're talking about, oh, no. oh man, but Anyways, but hold on, because you know what? You're, this is I a think, teaser. <laughs> and I would say also, you're conflating the two distinct issues. Uh, 
uh, so we could tease this. So the one issue is, can there be actual infinities? Like, is the distance between me and you actually infinite or not? But the other question is just like, are there mathematically defined infinite sequences, yeah. which are of different sizes, and yeah. whether actual, whether actually physically instantiated or not, are there these abstract things or not? Right. And you might get different answers to the two questions. You might say, yes, there are the abstract things, but no physical things, which do that. Um, or you might say, you know, there are only physical uh, infinities and no abstract ones. Or you might say there are both, and that, or you might, you know, so I think that those are different issues. But I'm on the Cantor side, by the way, so I'm going to say things like, yeah, you know, that the, if, the, if you believe that the distance is infinite, and if that means that, you know, it's equal to it's a subset of it, the same distance, uh, that seems weird, but if that's how reality is, that's how reality is. I, I mean, I don't see that that's really something that we take all that seriously, these kinds of objections. But that's me. Um, but then the, so that's the other thing. And then the other thing is uh, whether you, because, because Hilbert was even worried about like finite mathematics and thought that mathematics had to use like, I mean, it's kind of this weird Lockean idea that you have to have like nu numeral, like a, you know, stick figures, uh, Roman numerals, like one is literally one slash and two is literally two slashes and you have to be able to do all of your math with like finite amounts of those slashes. Yep. But that's crazy. I mean, so you just deny, I mean, so we haven't even got to the interesting diagonal argument stuff and right. I know you have to go because, yeah. um, but that was four minutes ago, so there's one minute. So let yeah. me just say the diagonal argument, this is the ultimate tease. So suppose you consider the numbers between 1 and 2, 1.1, 1.2, 1.3, 1.1, 1.111, 1.111, 1.1, 1.1, 1.1, 1.1, 1.1, 1.1, 1.1, 1.1, 1.1, 1.1, 1.1, 1.1, 1.1, 1.
That was really good. So I'll edit this fun. up and um, and and uh, post it. Cool. And then next time, let's get some guests. And if people have recommendations, um, let's 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 hear those recommendations uh, because yeah, uh, it'd be fun to talk to some other people and get them to agree with us. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Check out. You know, we've got a website, spacetimemind.com. There's a blog there. If there are blog posts corresponding to the episodes, if you got if people want to leave comments on the blog, we uh, welcome them to do that. That'd be awesome. Absolutely. Unless they're they're nasty comments. I welcome those too. Just like Dennis says, nasty comments are just one more data point you have to explain. That's right. <laughs> uh, and you'll posit some fundamental field to explain it. <laughs> exactly, and that fundamental field is the vacant lot on Forty Second Street. All right, man, take it easy. <laughs> All right, dude. I'll talk to you later. Later. Somehow, somehow do a Jedi mind meld. Somehow, somehow, do a Jedi mind, 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 m